I'd like to invite you to turn with me to today's scripture reading. We're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 21. And the verses are 1 through 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah born him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because the boy, because of the boy, and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of, of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water, and she, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is God's holy word. Finally, some good news in Genesis. Sarah and Abraham in their very old age have a child. They have a son together. Now this is 25 years since they first heard from God about this promise. Two and a half decades since they've known about this promise, and finally, they have a son. And they, may, they name him Isaac, which means in the old Hebrew, he laughs. 
They had been struggling for over two decades, struggling but learning how to trust God, even in the sight of what seemed to be many apparent threats to this promise, many apparent threats to the idea that they would both, uh, give, uh, that they would both bear a son. And think about the threats. If you've been following us through their story in Genesis, think about the threats that they have faced, that they thought were threatening God's promise to them. They've been through famine. They've been through many conflicts, internal conflicts within their family and their household, external conflicts. They've been in conflicts with kings. They've been through war. They've had to deal with their nephew Lot and his bad decisions, bailing him out again and again. They've had to deal with the unfortunate circumstances of Hagar, their servant, and Abraham's illegitimate son through Hagar, Ishmael, and the tension with Ishmael. Now, I'm not going to address Ishmael and Hagar today. I'm not going to talk much about them because the themes surrounding Hagar and Ishmael we've addressed before several weeks ago. You can go on, on our website and, and probably find the recording. We may bring the theme up again yet. I'm not sure. Today, I'm going to focus on Sarah and her husband. Now, look at Sarah. She's laughing again. But this is a different type of laughter. You might remember from Genesis 18, she was laughing in doubt. In, mo in mockery, she was laughing in doubt. Wasn't willing to trust God when he said, I'm going to return to you this time next year and you're going to have a son. This is different. This is a manifestation of something else. It's joy. She's laughing because of joy. And at this point, I want to ask you a question. How would you distinguish between happiness and joy? These are words that we throw around in our lives. How would you distinguish between happiness and joy? Maybe you don't think there is a distinction. Maybe you never thought about it. I'm really curious. I'd like to know what you think. How would you distinguish happiness from joy? Yeah, in the back. Okay, joy is, can be a, a constant given, even in sorrow, where happiness is, is uh, did you say it's contingent upon, upon situations? Okay, yeah. Any, yeah, Chrissy. Okay, so uh, an honest confession from our sister. <laughs> Happiness equates with getting what she wants. Thank you. Any other thoughts? Yeah. I guess I consider joy to be more of a state of being. And happiness, I think, kind of touching on what people said, kind of comes and goes. Okay, joy is a state of being. Happiness comes and goes. Thank you. Yeah. Joy is grounded or anchored in something permanent. Happiness is circumstantial. Okay. Anyone else? And I think, I think, yeah, Ken. Uh, happiness, I look at as being short-lived, where joy stays with you. Happiness is short-lived. Joy stays with you. Thank you. Uh, I, it looks like you've been thinking about this maybe throughout your lives or recently. Good to, uh, those are really helpful distinctions, and I appreciate that. I do think you're all on to something. 
And this is, uh, this is my opinion, but, but I hope it will come across as more weighty than just an opinion in this context. I think that happiness is feeling blessed because of good circumstances. But that joy is feeling blessed regardless of your circumstances. America was founded on the ideals of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. Now, I want to say right up front, I am not against happiness. I think happiness is great. If you are happy, I am happy for you. Okay? But I've also come to learn, would you agree with this, that happiness is fleeting. Joy, however, and I mean the Christian conception of joy, is enduring. It's actually immovable. Joy never depends upon circumstances. Joy depends upon faith in the promises of God. And today we're going to look at Sarah's joy. And we're going to look at Abraham's pain. And we're, look at, we're going to look at Christ's relief. Sarah's joy, Abraham's pain, and the relief that Jesus Christ provides to you if you are searching for joy in the midst of your pain. Sarah's joy is, I really think what she's experiencing in this laughter is deeper than happiness. Of course it's happiness. At the surface level, of course it's happiness. She's just become a mother. Of course she's happy, but I think there's something deeper. I think it's the laughter of joy because it's the result of God making good on his promises to her. And she says in verses 6 and 7, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So just a month ago with the Winter Olympics, when you watch Olympians rejoice in getting the gold, I'm thinking of those two female American cross-country skiers who they burst across the finish line, just, just beat out the other two countries, and they, they collapsed in exhaustion, and, and it looked like they were, they were crying and laughing, rejoicing that they had won the gold. Uh, what's interesting, though, is they earned that. They rejoiced over something that they honestly earned by their own good effort. You don't really earn having children. Now, now there are, you know, from a human perspective, there are things that have to happen to get kids. But you're really granted children, and the biblical authors understood that. The psalmists would say that children are really a gift from God. Even adoption, if you think about it, is really not something you earn because the state has to change your status to that of a parent for adoption to be legitimate. Sarah's rejoicing is not the result of anything that she's earned. It's the result of God's effort. Notice the language here in the first two verses. The Lord visited Sarah. The Lord visited. That means he paid attention. He remembered her. He heard her. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. 
Again, Genesis 18, the Lord said to Abraham, hey, I'm coming back in about a year and I'm going to visit Sarah and she's going to have a son. And that's when Sarah laughed in doubt. Well, now she's laughing in joy because God came true on his promise. See, the author's intent here in these verses is to make it abundantly clear that God kept his word. That God was perfectly governing the timing of events while the couple waited endlessly for decades. God's delays are not like human delays. We get irritated when our food is late at the restaurant. We get frustrated when our flight is canceled or delayed or postponed or we're rerouted while we're inconveniently rerouted while we're while we're flying while or while we're tra- while while we're traveling we get angry when the package that we've ordered and have already paid for with our credit card has somehow gotten lost in the delivery system we get frustrated when people drag their feet when people we depend upon are indecisive and our plans are affected by their indecision, we get frustrated because they just won't make up their mind and we don't like delays. But God's delays are never because he's indecisive. God's delays are never because he's incompetent. They're never, be, they're never because he is incapable and because he is out of control. And God's delays are never because he's stingy or greedy. See, what appears to us as a delay is actually the unfolding of God's sovereign plan. From Sarah's perspective and Abraham's perspective, this was a delay. But God was perfectly working out events according to his perfect planning. God was leading Sarah on a path of redemption, do you see? From barrenness, from emptiness to fullness and completion. From cynicism, she was a cynical woman, to joy. From doubt to belief. The book of Hebrews said about Sarah, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. And even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, meaning Abraham, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Hebrews 11. The commentator Joyce Baldwin decades ago ago, wrote a commentary on Genesis. It's very helpful. Just Genesis chapters 12 through 50, just covering Abraham and, and, and his descendants. And she said, speaking of this couple, that Abraham and Sarah... Uh, for that matter, was learning the basic lesson that every believer in turn has to learn. Namely, that God's delays are not denials. In the apparent delay, God was teaching this couple how to live by faith. How to trust his word. How to stake their lives, their security, their safety on his promises. And not just by their own reasoning. And the outcome was this full-bellied laugh of joy. But again, as we've been seeing with this couple of destiny, blessings are never isolated, are they? Our blessings and good fortunes are never isolated in a state of bliss. 
As one of my mentors, Glenn Parkinson, once said to me, Brian, we have to enjoy our blessings on the run. Your blessings in this life are like eating on the run. You have to enjoy them as problems and challenges and threats persist. Difficulties, pains remain, and and you enjoy your blessings as you're moving along. This couple's joy is, as you see, it's accompanied by Abraham's pain. Because the tension, the tension that was years old between Sarah, his legitimate wife, and Hagar, his basically illegitimate wife, that tension gave birth to more tension the next generation down. As the young teenager, Ishmael, is, is, is despising his little baby half-brother. You see, our choices, our choices, particularly the choices we make that are, that are born in doubt, the choices we make that are based on a lack of faith. By the way, any choice you make that is not the result of faith is in some way a rejection of God and his wisdom and goodness. There are no neutral choices. We either make decisions based on faith in him or we don't. And the choices born in doubt, they have consequences, don't they? The choices we make born in doubt as a result of a lack of faith have lingering consequences. Over the years, their lack of faith, Abraham and Sarah, their collective lack of faith led to one decision after another that ultimately failed the young woman, Hagar, and failed her son, Ishmael. And Abraham's and Sarah's faithlessness at times throughout their journey, it it brought unresolved conflict into the household. And here's the result of it. But despite this couple's failure towards this young woman, God was kind to her. You see that? I'm not going to say much about it, but as you read Genesis chapter 21, God was kind to Hagar and Ishmael. And again, Joyce Baldwin wrote, Does our disobedience ever fail to damage and sadden the life of someone else? And does the Lord ever fail to be gracious to those we have hurt? Amen. That the way we hurt people is not the end of their story. And here's how I want to apply this tension that we have with the joy of Isaac's birth and the pain of of Abraham seeing virtually his family break up. Christian joy is not attained by the absence of pain. And I think that's so important, I'm going to repeat it verbatim. Christian joy is not attained by the absence of pain. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Philippi while he was chained all day and every day to a Roman guard. And while Paul was imprisoned, he said this to them in Philippians chapter 4, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do All things through him who gives me strength. And that last phrase, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Here's a little clue. Paul didn't write that for Christian quarterbacks so that they can win the Super Bowl. Although 
There's nothing wrong with that. Paul wrote that for Christians who were struggling and he was trying to remind them that their struggles did not mean that they would have to lose their joy. Why do you see Paul in such contentment? Content in the presence of pain. I think the key to that is found earlier in his letter to the Philippians. Early in in chapter 3 and in chapter 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. That's why he was content in any and every circumstance. Now, where does joy come from? How do you get joy? Well, I think Paul can give us an answer again, but in a different letter that he wrote. His second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 1, he's talking to them. He's, He's reminding them about some horrible experiences, some persecutions that he and his companions faced in the city of Ephesus. And he said, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us. From such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Okay, so based on what Paul is saying there, I would suggest to you this. Joy comes from gratitude and confidence. Gratitude in God and confidence in God. Joy comes from gratitude of what God's already fulfilled. And confidence in what he hasn't yet fulfilled, but will. Joy comes from thankfulness to see God's promises fulfilled in our lives and in history. And hope, solid assurance, in the promises that he has yet fulfilled. Joy comes from trusting God in this already and not yet way. God has already fulfilled some of his promises. God has not yet fulfilled some of his other promises. But he remains faithful. God's made good on what he has said he would do. And God will continue to make good on what he says he will do. So the Christian will will always face trouble. Even when we're surrounded by blessings. But the Christian never has to feel unblessed even when you're surrounded by troubles. You may not always be happy, and that's okay. I think Paul was an intense guy. And and, and as you pick up on Paul's personality in his writings, I don't think Paul was always happy. Some people are just really nice and sweet and are just seem happy all the time. I'm not one of those people. I, I am not nice and sweet and happy all the time. But but I am searching for joy. That remains. And, and I don't think Paul was always a sweet, happy, nice guy, but Paul clearly had joy. The Christian never has to feel unblessed, even when surrounded by trouble. So joy comes from faith faith that is thankful for what God has already done and confident of what he will do. Now, some of you may be saying at this point, hold on, because I know that God has not fulfilled his promises to me. Or maybe you're thinking of just one. And you're thinking, God has not fulfilled that promise. Well, I am, I want to gently say, I am 
so sorry for the pain that you have endured or the pain that you are enduring. Because as you see, the God of the Bible takes your pain seriously and he offers mercy to you, just like he did to Hagar, just like he did to Ishmael. But I want you to ask yourself a question right now. The thing that you're missing in your life, are you sure that that is a promise of God or just something you are wishing for? You have to make that distinction. What does God promise to you and what do you simply wish will happen? We think, hey, once I have this thing, once I have fill in the blank, I'll be happy. Once I accomplish fill in the blank, I'll be happy. Once I meet fill in the blank, I'll be happy. Once that thing that's driving me crazy stops, like Paul had some thorn in his flesh, he describes in another place in the New Testament, he asked God to remove it, and God just kept saying, no, no, no. You know, whatever that fill in the blank might be, and God hasn't removed it. Or you say, if these things come to fruition, then I'll be happy. Maybe you will. It, Maybe you'll be happy when, when, when you meet that person or when you get that thing, whether it's a career or a new living arrangement or some circumstance changes in your life and, and, and that thing happens that you're missing right now. Hey, maybe you will be happy. I really pray that it will happen and that you will be happy. But I'm telling you, you'll, ha- you'll be happy for only so long. The happiness won't last because something else will come along. You know, we, we can consume ourselves pursuing happiness we we can consume ourselves and be obsessed with pursuing happiness so much that we rob ourselves of joy while we're waiting to be happy and so we get angry at god because he's holding out on us it's okay look you're not alone if you're angry with god if you're ticked off at god you're not the only one We all get ticked off at God if we're willing to admit it. We all feel at different times that he's holding out on us for some reason. We're not getting something that we really think we need. And if you're angry, I want to suggest to you that maybe the source of that anger and frustration is pride. This is what I mean. If you believe God's holding out on you, it may be because you think you deserve that thing. You think you deserve the thing that God hasn't given you yet. And I want to say this to you, friend. The creator of the universe doesn't owe you anything. The thing he does owe you, you don't want from him. The one thing you deserve, you do not want to receive from him. We'll explain a little bit about that in a few minutes. Perhaps, perhaps the most important distinction between happiness and joy is that happiness can be often associated with what you earn, with what you acquire. Whereas joy is always associated with what you cannot earn. Joy is only associated and always associated with what God has given us. Which with what by his grace he has given to us as a gift. And here is where Jesus offers you relief. 
This is where Jesus Christ offers relief so that you are able to experience and hold on to joy in the midst of your pain. In Galatians chapter 4, we are told, when the fullness of time had come. There's that theme again about God's perfect timing. You want to talk about a delay for a baby to be born. Let's talk about Jesus of Nazareth. Because the delay was practically all of human history. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Life by learning. Not learning, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Life by earning. <laughs> Big difference. <laughs> Life by earning is slavery. According to what Paul says in Galatians 4, life by the law, that means life by earning your way. Life by earning is slavery because you'll never earn the things that are truly eternal, the things that you could never lose. You'll never earn them. So living by earning, by striving to get and establish in order to sustain happiness for yourself or procure happiness for yourself is a form of slavery, the greatest kind. You can have all the money in the world, all the power in the world, all the, all the, repu uh, the reputation of greatness and still fail living by earning and it's slavery. Jesus came to liberate you from that. Jesus came to offer you a different type of life than the life by earning. Jesus came, according to Galatians 4, to offer you a life by receiving. Because he did earn everything that humanity intended, was intended to earn and failed at. Jesus earned God's favor. Jesus fulfilled God's law. Jesus never doubted God, never mocked his heavenly father, never made mistakes in, 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 in which he and we had to deal with the consequences. Jesus lived a life by earning perfectly and fulfilled righteousness in humanity. And actually, Paul, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, said of Jesus, all the promises of God find their yes in him. Every promise God ever made, the ones that he has fulfilled, the ones he has not yet fulfilled, are all yes in Jesus. Jesus is the proof. Jesus is the proof that God makes good. That God makes good on his word. Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection... The fact that he's coming back, that's the proof that God's promises come true. That he's faithful to what he says. We look at the cross, we look at the resurrection, backward, for you it's this way, backward in thankfulness saying God fulfills his promises. And we look forward towards Christ's return and our restoration in hope, in confidence that God fulfills his promises. Let that change you. 
let, let this reality that all of God's promises are yes in Jesus. If, you're, if you think God's promised you something and the answer is no, it is not in Jesus. But let this change you. Let the fact that Jesus is the proof that God is true to his word, let it change you. And this is what you're going to get as a result of that. You're going to get relief. And here's where you're going to get relief from. The endless toil of pursuing happiness. The night before Jesus died, he was at this upper room with, with his best friends, with his disciples, and he told them he was going to have to go away. They're going to be sad and distressed because they're going to lose him. And in that context, he said this, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. No one will take your joy away from you when you see me again. Joy never depends upon circumstance. It depends upon faith in the promises of God. And faith manifests itself in being grateful for what God has already done. And hopeful, confident in what he has not yet done. But will do. And in that same conversation with his disciples that night, Jesus said, In this world, you will have trouble. And if, 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 if there it is, in the world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So happiness is good, but fleeting. Joy lasts forever. I think Sarah's laughter is contagious. <laughs> I think it's contagious. You need to laugh in your life. Because God is good. Because God's words are true. And even if you're not happy all the time, you still need to laugh. Because God is good. So rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in God's perfect record on fulfilling his promises. And I'm going to leave you with these words, which the prophet Nehemiah said to the Israelites when they had heard for the first time in years the law and were grieved because they know they hadn't kept it. And he said to them, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Your failure, you think you're a failure? The joy of the Lord is your strength. You lost somebody? You lost something? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Are you confused? You're confused right now? Are you angry? Are you mad at God? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's pray. Father, we want happiness. We do want reason to be happy. But Father, we ask more diligently, more sincerely for your joy. We thank you for the times when, when we have abundantly more than most of the people in the world have. And we are grateful for that. But we ask for what cannot be taken away from us. We ask for a, a solid gratitude 
to look at history and look at our lives and see your goodness and faithfulness. We ask for a solid assurance that you will do what you've already said you would do. We ask for joy. And, and Father, if we are angry and if we are confused, we ask for your peace that is greater than our ability to understand. And Father, we ask for wisdom to discern between what are your promises and what is simply our wishful thinking. In the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus, amen.